Good morning. Morning, Bob. Good to see you on the front row. Front row folks, good to see you at home as well. Great to have you all with us. It's great to be here again today, isn't it? Good to see uh, people visiting, friends, family. Uh, it's great to have you with us. If you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you as well. In 2013, we had a family holiday in northern France. And as you'd expect me to, after what I told you about last week, about my slightly obsessive behavior uh, and so on, uh, I had a very detailed to-do list for our holiday trip to northern France. And it included basically visiting as many World War I uh, cemeteries and trench systems and so on that uh, we could find. Daniel and I loved it, Claire and Naomi not so much. But we also arranged for a day trip to go down to Paris. So we got on the train, we were up in the north of France, we got a train down to Paris and so went into the city and tried to see as many possible things. And this is where a spreadsheet comes in handy, otherwise you miss all these good things. So we went around Paris as a kind of 100 mile an hour trying to find all the different things that we wanted to see and hopefully you'll see a picture in a moment. There we are. Daniel will love me for that photograph. That's me dead for the rest of the week. There they are, Daniel and Naomi. They're not as broad as that. That picture's been stretched, so just kind of say that. The problem was that it was the hottest day of the year. It, it reached 40-plus degrees in Paris that day. It was just horrendous. I, I'm somebody who's generally happy with kind of drizzle and 18 degrees and a fleece on, so you can, you can imagine that it, it was pretty awful. It was 40 degrees, and we used all our water up. We thought we'd had lots of water. We used it all up really, really quickly. And after visiting Notre Dame Cathedral here, or Notre Dame as the Americans call it, we found this lovely classical Parisian cafe just tucked behind Notre Dame. And so we decided to go in and shelter from the heat and into the air con and also just get a drink and, and try and just be a bit refreshed. And so we ordered three Cokes and a bottle of water. They wouldn't give us tap water. Three Cokes and a bottle of water. The waiter then gave me the bill, 18 euros. 18 euros for three Cokes and a bottle of water. It's outrageous. And we had to share the toilets with everybody. It was just like, what's that about? And, and, and I couldn't believe it. It pretty much wiped out the rest of our spending money for the day. So that was it. That's all we had for the rest of the day. And they were only small bottles. So I made the kids and, 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 the, and Claire said, right, you've got to sip this really slowly, really carefully, savor every single last drop of this because this is precious. And, and, and when you're thirsty like that and you're so hot and you're tired and, you're, and your kind of throat's dry, it's great, isn't it, to get a, an ice-cold, refreshing drink and as the liquid goes down and it kind of refreshes you right into your stomach and you just feel so good, you can feel that refreshing and that renewal and that kind of life returning to your body when you're so hot and so tired. Jesus says that what water does for us on a physical level he can and does do for us on a spiritual level. What water does for us on a spiritual level, Jesus says and claims that he does for us on a spiritual level. And the Jewish people had three great festivals a year, and one of them was the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Tabernacles. It took place in October, or an hour, October, after the, the grape and the olive harvest. And the main focus of this festival was to look back and remember how God had led the nation of Israel uh, in 1446 BC when they came out of Egypt and as they headed to the promised land, 1444 BC rather, and, and how they then lived in temporary shelters in the desert through those 40 years, basically tents. The word tabernacle, as Stuart has explained the other week, just means tent. So this is literally the feast or the festival of tents. And in Leviticus 23, we read these words, some of the instructions about 
the festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. On the first day, you're to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so that your descendants will know that I made the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so the people in Jerusalem built temporary shelters up on the sort of flat roofs of their houses, and they would live in them for a week. And it would, they were made from the uh, palms and, and, and branches and so on. And then all the pilgrims that would travel up from all over Israel to Jerusalem then lived in the streets of Jerusalem with these little tents that they'd built uh, with... Um, these palm branches and so on. Here's a picture of what this uh, probably would have looked like. This, this is what they'd have been living in for seven days. And this festival went on for eight days in total. And each day, the high priest in the temple would go across the city of Jerusalem and he'd go to the pool of Siloam and he would get a jug, a big jug of water, and he would carry that back across the city, back into the temple, through the gates of the temple. And then he would uh, walk up into the temple. And as he was doing that, the, the temple choir would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, the psalms that we've read this morning. These are the psalms that they would be singing, one after the other, as we've read them this morning, as the priest carried the water from the pool of Siloam. And then when they finished Psalm 118, all the men that were there would then shout out, give thanks to the Lord. And at that very point, the high priest would then pour out, out of the jug, out of this, he'd pull the water out onto the altar there in the temple, right in the center of Jerusalem. And the water poured out was to remember how God had provided water from the rock when the people of Israel were in the desert after they had left Egypt. But the pouring out of the water was not only to help them remember and to give thanks for the way that God had provided for them and cared for them as they'd come out for 40 years from Egypt, it was also to point forward to when God would pour out the Holy Spirit. When God would, through the Messiah, God's anointed king, God would pour out the Holy Spirit. The, the Messiah, the Christ, was going to come. And Messiah or Christ, it's the same word, it, one's Hebrew, one's Greek, it just means God's anointed king. And this physical provision of water, which quenched the people's thirst back in the desert, it was also a picture of the spiritual thirst that would be quenched when the Messiah would come, when this anointed king of God that God was going to send would arrive. And the Old Testament is full of verses that speak of the time when the Messiah would arrive and when then God would pour out his spirit like a river to bring new life, to, to quench spiritual thirst. Isaiah 44, there's loads, but here's one, for instance, says this. For I, this is God speaking. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. He's not talking about physical water. He's talking here about the, the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at John 7 in John's Gospel together, uh, where Jesus is at the feast or the festival of tabernacles. He's there uh, as every day the priest is carrying this water and pouring out. And as they're reading these Psalms, uh, the five Psalms together, and after a whole week of the high priest pouring out the water day after day, to both remember God's physical provision 1,400 odd years earlier, and, but, but also to look forward to this 
eagerly awaited day when God would now pour out his spirit through the, the Messiah, we then read these words in, Psalm, in verses 37 to 39 of John 7. So if you've got a Bible handy, the words are going to be up on the screen, but if you want to turn, that there, there, uh, you can look at it in the Bible as well. I'm just going to read them to you. And John says this in verses 37 to 39, recording Jesus' words. It says this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The crowds watched every day for a week as the high priest poured out the water on the altar. And now Jesus, at the end of this, stands up and he says, if you are thirsty, to the whole crowd, he shouts out, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus is announcing that he is the fulfillment of this great festival. He is the fulfillment, he's the culmination of what it is. He is he's announcing that he is the Messiah. Jesus is saying, I am the one that has been eagerly awaited. Jesus was saying that the physical water quenches our thirst for a while, but when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when we believe in him, he gives us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is like a river, a roaring, raging, rushing river, a living water that quenches not our physical thirst, but our deep spiritual thirst. And it brings us real life, and it brings us life that is eternal. We all experience physical thirst, don't we? We know what that's like, and we know that water quenches that thirst. But just as we have physical thirst, we all have a deep spiritual thirst that only the Holy Spirit, given by Jesus, can satisfy. Now, people try to quench this thirst. You can call it a kind of ache inside us, a hole, something missing. You can put it in all sorts of ways. Jesus here talks about it as a thirst. People try to quench that thirst, satisfy that need, meet, kind of fill that void in their lives with all sorts of things. Money, sex, power, uh, careers, possessions, politics, relationships, alcohol, social causes, and even religion. But none of them work, none of them deliver, none of them quench our thirst, none of them meet that need, none of them fill that void that we all have. And that's because God has created every human being to have a deep need within us that only he can meet. A thirst that only the Holy Spirit can quench. The Holy Spirit, write this on your outline. You should have an outline in front of you. And there's loads of things to write down today. You're going to need to be writing away. The Holy Spirit brings spiritual and eternal life. Not physical life, but spiritual life. Eternal life. When we trust in Jesus. The moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us and gives us new life. And the Bible says that every human being is, for, is born physically alive, but is spiritually dead. Some of you don't look particularly physically alive today either, but I'm sure you all are, hopefully. We're all born physically alive, but we're all born spiritually dead. But when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians 2 in the New Testament, speaking about people who've trusted in Jesus, says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
If you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've not yet done that, then I need to tell you, as respectfully as I can, that according to the Bible, you are physically alive, but according to the Bible, you are spiritually dead. And it's only when you're prepared to admit that you are spiritually thirsty, that there's a void, there's a great need in your heart, and that you've been trying to quench that thirst and meet that need with all sorts of stuff, but all sorts of wrong things, things that don't meet the need. And you then ask Jesus to quench that thirst by giving you and filling you with the Holy Spirit. It's only then that you will come alive and begin that wonderful relationship that goes on for eternity with God. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and asked him to forgive you and turned away from your old way of life, then can I challenge you and encourage you to do that today? To become that new person that only the Holy Spirit can do. And and only the Holy Spirit can make you. Jesus says here in John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus promises to quench our spiritual thirst by giving us the Holy Spirit, giving giving us himself so that we have eternal life flowing from within us through the Holy Spirit, like a big, great, roaring river, streams of living water running and, and, and flowing within us. The Holy Spirit brings amazing and never-ending life, real life, just like the, the energy and the power of a river. Without the Holy Spirit, we're kind of like a, a, a dried-up riverbed. I don't know if you've ever been in the countryside or seen photographs or footage of, of rivers that once ran, and then they're just completely dry. And that's what, according to the Bible, we're like without Jesus. That's what we're like without his Spirit living in us. But with the Holy Spirit, we come alive and and the water flows once more, or flows for the first time, really, and we become alive and and, and life flows in the river and life flows around the river. I've got a great video. It's it's three minutes long, but it is a video I found this week of uh, Long Gill Beck in Yorkshire, in the Yorkshire Dales, and it was a totally dry riverbed, absolutely dry, just dead. And then there was an hour of rainfall and suddenly... The rainfall in the hills fills the river and it flows. Let's just watch this. It's a great picture, great imagery of what the Holy Spirit does. What an amazing video. Isn't that amazing? A completely dead riverbed and then massive rainfall and it's brought back to life. And that is a phenomenal picture of what the Holy Spirit does as he comes and dwells within us as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. John says in verse 39, by this, talking about these, this, this raging river, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus was glorified when he died, rose again, and ascended back to heaven. And then having ascended to heaven 40 days later, he then sent his Holy Spirit to come on those who would from then on believe in him. So if you've believed in Jesus, if you've turned away from your sin, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you, if you've surrendered your life to him, then you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is literally living in, within you, and you are now alive, really alive, spiritually alive. And there's a whole lot of outcomes and consequences of having the Holy Spirit in our lives, and every single one of them is amazing. 
And I want to look at just some of them this morning very briefly. And the ones that we're going to briefly focus on are the ones which are particularly to do with the life that the Holy Spirit brings us and the way in which he quenches our spiritual thirst. So there's loads of things to write down. So here we go. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we give our lives to him, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And we are the temple of the Spirit of God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The people of Israel had to go up to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. But now through Jesus, God lives in us. Isn't that amazing that God lives in me and God is living in you if you've trusted in Jesus? The all-powerful, the uncontainable, indescribable God has actually chosen to make his home inside of you if you've trusted in Jesus. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God. The Holy Spirit actually lives within you and dwells within you if you trusted in Jesus. God has made his home inside of you and inside me. And because the Holy Spirit lives within us through trusting in Jesus, that means that we're united with God forever. The Holy Spirit unites us. Write that on your outline. The Holy Spirit unites us with God forever. I don't know about you, but I find it staggering to think that Because I've trusted in Jesus, I am now united. I'm one with God. Me, sinful, finite, frail old me, joined with holy, righteous, eternal God and united with him forever. It's amazing. It's staggering. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, speaking about the fact that we've become the temple of the Holy Spirit, he says, he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And it kind of seems outrageous or almost blasphemous, doesn't it, to to say that we've been united with God. But it's true. It's what the Bible tells us, that we're united with God forever, one with him through the Holy Spirit now living in us. And because we're united with God forever through the Holy Spirit, that means that our eternal salvation is guaranteed. Our eternal destiny is safe and is secure. The Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation. Write that on your outline. The Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation. If a person is genuinely born again and the Holy Spirit is living in them, the Holy Spirit will never leave that person. That person is a new creation and then is united with God forever. And that identity and that position cannot be altered. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I used to be a customs officer and we would sometimes seize a vehicle or some drugs or other smuggled goods and if it was drugs or or, or tobacco or whatever we would put it inside a bag and then we would seal the bag and in the old days that used to be done with a kind of wax seal but Today they use a, what's called a plum and a seal. It's one of these. You put the, the kind of thing through and then press it. And on that would be the crown and a serial number and so on. And in the instant that that bag had a seal placed on it, it now belonged to the crown, to the government. And it, nobody is allowed to tamper with that seal. The, and, and the very moment that you were saved, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. And it's his presence that guarantees your salvation. Verse 14 says, he is a deposit. And when you put a deposit on a car or something and you you go back, don't you, a few days later and it guarantees that it's yours and then you take possession of it. Well, God has placed his Holy Spirit in each one of us when we trust in him. And when Jesus comes back, the Holy Spirit is that deposit which guarantees our eternal destiny, our salvation. And Jesus then takes us to be with him. 
And once the Holy Spirit has come to live within us, nothing can change that status, nothing you can do, nothing anyone else can do, nothing Satan can do. And because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we've been adopted by God as his children. We're able to now relate to God intimately as our Father. The Holy Spirit brings my adoption by God, and we can call him Father. It's it's staggering, isn't it? The language that Jesus spoke was Aramaic, which was similar to Hebrew, and and the Aramaic word for dad was and is Abba. And as outrageous as it seems, the relationship we have with God through Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is living in us, means that we can now call God Dad. That's what Abba means. It's not in a kind of dad, not daddy in a childish way. It's, about, it's speaking about the incredible closeness and intimacy that we now have with God because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Romans 8 says this, The Spirit you have received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But once we were dead, we were separated from God, but now through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, and he brings about our adoption so that we become God's children. And God is the best father that we could ever want or have. Our human fathers might be good, might be bad, but even the best dad in the world will let you down. Isn't that right, Daniel? Even the best, he's, he's nodding. Even the best dad in the world... I don't know this morning, maybe you don't know your dad, maybe you're estranged from your earthly father, maybe your human dad wasn't great, isn't great. The Holy Spirit living in you this morning, if that's true for you, means that you have been adopted by the best father there ever could be. Sometimes our human fathers make their love towards us conditional on our behavior, but our heavenly father, Father God, doesn't do that. He loves us unconditionally and he loves us eternally. And he'll never stop loving us. It's not dependent on our exam results or our good behavior or anything like that. He just loves us. The Holy Spirit brings God's love into our hearts. We all long to be loved, don't we? We need to be loved. And we all love to be loved. And whilst people can love us, the greatest love that we will ever experience as other human beings we, is never the same as God's love. Romans 5 verse 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It may be this morning that you long for love or that the people in your life have failed to love you as they should have done. Well, God loves you this morning unconditionally and eternally. He knows all my faults. He knows all your faults. He knows all our failures and yet he loves us just the same. God loves you. And the Holy Spirit brings that love into your hearts. And as the Holy Spirit lives within us, he helps us then become more like Jesus. Write that on your outline. The Holy Spirit helps us become more like Jesus. The, Holy, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives will have outcomes that are obvious then to people around us. We will change. Just like a dried up riverbed is brought to life when the rains come and things start to live in it again and, and plants start to grow along its bank. So when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, we come alive and, and we begin to change and we begin to grow. We produce what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. When you plant an apple tree and water it, it will grow and it will produce fruit, produce apples. And when the Holy Spirit lives within us, we will produce spiritual fruit, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says this, the fruit or the result of the Spirit living in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I miss faithfulness as well. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out so that we become increasingly more like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. 
but it will happen if a person is genuinely trusted in Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, he also gives us the power to tell other people about Jesus, gives our words a power that humanly they don't have. We might not feel or be very powerful or bold or brave as we try to tell other people about Jesus. I find it very difficult. It's not something I'm very good at or find easy to do. But when we do it, our words have a power in them that is not our own. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to tell others about Jesus. As as the streams of living water of the Holy Spirit flow within us, they then flow out to others. Jesus said to his disciples, just before he returned to heaven and, and, and sent the Holy Spirit, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. The words we speak when we tell other people about Jesus I don't know about you, but certainly for me, feel pretty feeble at times. And we can be afraid and we might, we might think we're not very clever or smart and we stumble over our words. But the Holy Spirit can take those faltering, stumbling words and do great things through them because the power is from him working through us. It's not our power. And, the, and as the Holy Spirit comes to live within us when we trust in Jesus, he gives us new special abilities. The Bible calls them spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. These are new abilities that we didn't have before or natural abilities that then kind of come alive and are enhanced by the Holy Spirit. Some of them are very ordinary. Some of them are miraculous. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, new special, ability, special abilities to serve God and to serve others. They're not for our benefit, they're for the benefit of others. And we don't get them based on how good we are. They're called gifts of grace. They're gifts or abilities that we get, not because we've earned them or deserve them or because we're good people, but because God in his wisdom and in his grace decides to give them to us so that we can serve him and so that we can serve others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, as he lists some of these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives people, he says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Can we have that verse up, Paul? Thank you. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Every believer in Jesus has at least one spiritual gift, and some have many more. They're given to us so that we can serve God and serve others. Before the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts, we're like a dried up riverbed as far as God is concerned. But the Holy Spirit brings life and gifts that enable us to serve God and others. There's, there's loads more things we could say about what the Holy Spirit does and, and, and how he works. We've, we've barely touched the surface. But as we draw to a close, I just want to say two things. Firstly, perhaps for most of us here this morning as believers in Jesus, those who've been born again, we, we each have the Holy Spirit living within us. And he will never leave us no matter what we might do. But what sometimes happens is that instead of allowing our thirst to be quenched by the Holy Spirit, we sometimes go wandering away and we find other sources of uh, help or things that we think will help other people or other sources. And we start drinking from other places, as it were. See, we need to surrender every day to the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender every single day to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here How we respond to him is another matter. Instead of surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit each day and allowing him to lead us and guide us and work in us, sometimes we choose to march to the beat of a different drum. Sometimes we allow other things to influence us or or, or control us. Paul says in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Just because we're alive in the Spirit doesn't necessarily mean we will always keep in step with him. And, And in Ephesians 5, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
allow the Holy Spirit to control you rather than things like alcohol or other people. The Holy Spirit lives in everyone who's trusted in Jesus, but we each have to make that daily choice to surrender to his presence within us. It's amazing, isn't it? That God would give us the gift of his Holy Spirit, that God himself would come and make his home within us and totally transform us. Secondly and lastly, if, if you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, if, if, if this is all kind of new to you or foreign to you or you know it's outside of your experience, then you, you, I had to tell you this morning that the, according to the Bible, you're like that dried up riverbed that desperately needs that fresh water to run through it. And if that's you this morning, can I challenge you to take that step of faith today and give your life to Jesus? Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect. Daniel and the band are going to come and lead us in another song. Uh, Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us this morning? What is he saying to you? What is he saying to me? What does this mean to us? What, what, What new things, what things have we been reminded of? What changes do we need to make? Let's just, for a few seconds, just pause and reflect as the band lead us in a final song.